Hi, my name is Lauren Pesquet, and you're listening to The Woven Women, an initiative amplifying women's stories around the world. Through audio and photography portraits, we create immersive exhibitions where communities can come together and hear the stories of local women. I do feel like I'm blowing on the embers and that I hope that the flame will keep flying. We have a power that most of us don't even realise is there. You know, never ever bow down to anybody. You stand up, your mana whenua. Yeah, it's a matter of learning how to get on life, isn't it? And wahini is, is wahini. This chapter takes place in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and is called wahine, which means woman in te reo Māori, the Māori language. The wahine exhibition is currently touring New Zealand, expanding each time it travels to a new region by inviting a woman from a local iwi, or tribe, to join the exhibition and share her korero, or story. In today's episode, you will hear the story of Dame Aroha from Ototahi Christchurch, on the South Island of New Zealand. Enriched by the many facets of her remarkable journey, Aroha offers a reflection on childhood memories and the challenges of adult life. As grateful as she is for her recent nomination as a Dame Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit, she reminds us that we were all born with mana. I had a very special time at the exhibition opening at Turanga Library in Christchurch in early July. Each opening is unique depending on where it takes place and which tribe is leading it. In this part of the South Island, Naitahu or Kaitahu is Mana Whenua, the tribe with authority over the land. For this type of opening, Kaitahu usually practices a mihi whakato, which is a type of greeting made to acknowledge those gathered together for a particular purpose. At the Christchurch opening, it was led by Naitahuriri, which is Aroha Zerunaka, or sub-tribe. It included some beautiful waiata, which means song, accompanied by Cindy in her tanga puro, Māori instruments. Cindy is really special to me, and she came to the opening to support me. If you haven't done it yet, you can listen to her story in our second episode. With each new episode, this podcast gives you access to the audio portraits featuring in the exhibitions where the women allow themselves to speak from their hearts and share their truths. You can view the accompanying photo portrait on our website using the link in the episode's description. Each story reminds us that while we are all unique in our own ways, many of our experiences, tribulations and assimilations are really similar, creating common ground and a solid base for a more truthful and open intercultural dialogue. This exhibition and podcast strives to inspire empathy in us all and ignite a wider sense of belonging, community and togetherness. If your day allows it, I invite you to take a break and drop in. I hope you enjoy Aroha's story. My name is Aroha Hohipera Rerity Hyphen Crofts and the Aroha is my mum's beloved son. 
who died when he was seven years of age of spinal meningitis. Hohi Pera is that he died in hospital. So that's why my name is a memorial to him. I was born at Tuihiwi, Māori Reserve 873, which is about 25 k's north of Christchurch. I was born on the back seat of my father's car. It's like I say, I was in a hurry to get out into the world and see what the world was like. So I grew up in Tuihiwi. I went to my first school and would end school, so I was there for probably six months because my dad was dying of, of tuberculosis, so he, he actually was advised by his doctors to go live by the sea. So we, we moved from Tuihiwi, we got to Walston in Christchurch here for a short time and then we finally got to Littleton. So we lived there until the end of the war, um, World War Two. So uh, my dad actually died in October of the same year. He was 39 years of age when he died. And my mum and I were tending the graves one day at the Urupa at the cemetery. And I decided, oh, I'll go around and have a nose and see who's all laying there. And, and I came back to mum. My dad was only 39. I, I got a hell of a shock to uh, realise that he was a young man. And, um, I mean, I was older than he was at that time. She said, yes, and he left a very young widow with all you kids. You know, and I, I keep thinking about how my mum moved very, very fast. Because in October of 1945, after he died, we were back in Tuihiwi and me going to Tuihiwi school, being in the kapahaka, the school culture group, that um, because we, we then, we were taught by my uncle Teari Pitama and his sister Auntie Wai, taught us uh, Māori and Māori songs, waiata. Um, and so... There at Tuihiwi School, uh, up at Wellington to welcome the Māori Battalion home at the Waiponamu College. And then when I grew up an adult, um, so always involved in some kapahaka. Until a couple of years ago, I said to two nieces of mine, I'm finished, you take over, and I'm backing off. Because I had previously wanted to teach the next generation what I learnt. You know, succession planning. I learnt all this from my uncle and aunt and I want to pass it on. My mother was instructed by the doctors that, or by the chess clinic, that if I had a sniffle or a cold or anything, I wasn't to go to school. So I used to cry a bit because I loved school and Mum would say, no, 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 I'm not allowed to send you to school because our father died of tuberculosis. So I, d I didn't have it, uh, but the district nurse would take us to the chest clinic. We'd have to line up and, you know, strip off the, from the waist up and stand in front of this machine and the nurse would breathe in, hold it, and breathe out. And so they would take an X-ray of us probably every, I think every three months they did that. 
and a lot of lot of my cousins were there, and aunties, and you know, it was full of full of Māori people because they had TB. Periodically, I would go over and stay with my toa, my dad's mother, uh, and it's a matter of just getting through the paddocks. And she was fluent Itereo Māori. She would say something to me, and I said, well, "What does that mean, toa?" And she would translate and teach me little bits and pieces. So I was always learning from there, and then in the kapahaka as well. So I've been learning my reo, my language, all my life. I'm still learning it because I love I love learning, and um, even today I record Te Reo Māori onto my audio cassette tape, and I have a little Walkman, and I'll play it back to me. So I'm not fluent in Te Reo Māori, but I can understand so long as I don't talk too fast. <laughs> my mum, she was our queen. She was our confidant. She was always there when I needed her. Always there when I needed her. Um, she died of lung cancer. And um, I was there the night she died. And my daughter and my niece were with me. We were having turns at sitting with her yeah, while they were treating her. And Anyway, the nurse came or sister came and said, oh bring the whānau to come. And so my niece and my daughter went to the phone. And so while while they were out of the room, I decided I am an Afrina in the Ratana church. And then it's my job to pray for her. So I got out my prayer book and, and I'm praying for her. And all of a sudden, I was, Mom, aunt. And I put my hand up. They could see that she had gone. And, but I wanted them to wait until I'd finished doing these prayers. And um, that tore a hole in our, in our whole system, her leaving us. Our grieving time was, was just incredible, you know, for me and my siblings and, and our, our children and mokopuna. Yeah, so now we... I had a wonderful rapport with my mum. And when, when she was with my sister, um, my sister said to me, oh, mum wants to see you. So I went to her and um, said, oh, you, you summoned me. She said, I want you to settle all my affairs, which meant things like um, Māori land, all her little businesses. So I, okay. But you know, when when you're when you're doing that that type of work, and you're thinking, oh God, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to be out without my mother, and this is why I'm having to do this work. And um, but it was an honour and a privilege to be able to do that. So um, yeah, some sometimes the triggers will happen, and you know, the grieving doesn't stop. I mean, you know, how many years? 30-something years she's gone. And my daughter did a, a charcoal drawing of, of her toa. Beautiful. So I always have that in my pad so that my mum is always there, eyeball to eyeball. <laughs> so when I'm sitting up in bed and she's sitting there up on the windowsill, she's there when I want to talk with her. <laughs> yeah, Lovely. 
1968 I joined the league when I was a solo mother and I, I decided oh, I want something more than being home every day with my kids, you know, one or two at school and I think my baby was still at home. So I rang my auntie, my mum's first cousin. Um, what's this Māori Women's Welfare League? She says, yes, dear, and you can come into my branch. And that was it. So I went into the league, and again, there was a lot of learning to be done. Got a copy of the Constitution, and I read through that, studied that, and I said, yeah, I like that. That's for Māori women. And their whanau, I like that. So I went to the meetings and met other women and loved the way they related to each other, you know, taking kai food to share. But it was, it was also learning about meeting procedures. I was fascinated by that. Probably the youngest one there, and then I very quickly got to be the secretary. You know, the youngest one always gets to be the secretary, eh? <laughs> But I loved it too because for me it was it was learning about what the league is all about and what these members are all about and we thoroughly enjoy it. I mean I still love being part of it and, and I'm a past president since uh, 1993 and you know one, one could happily sit back on their laurels so to speak and, and do nothing but I can't, I can't be that. I have to be there, part of it all. Um, and I have learned how to be articulate, how to uh, debate, if you like. The first time you speak to the National Council, your knees are knocking and, <laughs> and, and you're so nervous. And so it's certainly built a lot of confidence in my being able to talk out there, publicly speak, if you like, and um, I have gained such a lot of knowledge of many things in life through being in the league. But yeah, I've, I've always had excellent rapport with, with men, but I certainly don't agree with the way men treat their women. Why is it that men have to think they are the superior to women. I don't understand it because, you know, they too were born with mana, like us women. Although I think women are more articulate than men, of course. <laughs> and I'd, I would say to my sons, you treat your woman like a queen and she will treat you like a king. And that's all that's, that can be asked of of a relationship between men and women. And when, when I married for the second time, I said to the apotro, the apostle, who was to marry us, don't ask me to obey him because I have no intentions of obeying him. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That, yeah, so it's, it's a matter of enjoying each other's company and, and thoughts and... Mm. March was the lockdown, eh? So it must have been in the, in in March sometime, and and when I, I thought, oh my God, this is this is me. They've sent this email to, and it it was 
stated very firmly, highly confidential. You were to talk to no one about it. And how the hell, I can't even talk with my kids about it. Who do I talk to? So I said to Ihua, well, you will know all about this. I'll have to talk with you about it. Ihua, God. I don't know how long it took. But I then thought about, oh my God, someone has nominated me. Who were they? It's all secret. So anyway, that, that was the deciding factor. That those people, whomever they were, they saw fit to nominate me. So I can't do that. I can't slap them in the face. And um, yeah, so Dame Aroha Hohupera Rarity Hyphen Crofts. I'm still me. I'm still a mother and a grandmother, a toa. I still love life and love living. But if I need to, I'll capitalise on it by using it to get to the Pākehā world because it's a Pākehā honour. And, you know, I was already born with mana from my tipuna. So were you. So is everyone else. I'm, I'm definitely grateful that someone chose to nominate me and also that it was received and accepted. That I'll always be grateful for. But I'm still me. Kimi Oyakwe Ete Tau Aroha Inga Motu Katoa Opuna Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed immersing yourself in her story as much as I did. If this episode touched you, I would love for you to send it to a friend who you think would enjoy it too. And if you want to follow the exhibition's journey and listen to the next episodes, you should subscribe to our podcast and social media. All the links are in the episode's description. Our next one will feature Felice's story, who will be joining the project at the start of October when the exhibition opens in Otepoti, Dunedin. The exhibition was due to open there on the 26th of August, but due to the current lockdown New Zealand is in, we had to postpone it, unfortunately. But we will be announcing the new hosting venue in opening day shortly on social media, so stay tuned. Phyllis has a beautiful story to share that I have already edited and is all ready to go, and I cannot wait to share it with you. One more thing. The beautiful music you heard in the introduction has been created by Wahinema, and I thank her from the bottom of my heart for this beautiful addition to the podcast. I hope you're well, dear listener. I wish you a great rest to your day, and I will speak to you soon. Until then, kia ora, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>